Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Before we get into it, let's do a quick prayer, and then we'll go verse by verse with this wonderful chapter. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this day. God, we thank you um, that your goodness remains the same every day. God, we thank you that your mercies are new every day, but your goodness, it just remains, it's constant, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you that we were able to wake up this morning, have breath in our lungs, and to just live a life that would bring you glory, honor, and praise. It is such a privilege that you would count us as your children, God. And so, Lord, help us to honor you, to love you, uh, to obey you, trust you, and have faith in you in all things, God. Uh, help us to bring you glory in everything that we do um, as we carry out in our weeks, Father God. And we just love you so much, Lord, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, the book of Galatians, chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. Go all the way down. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Verse 2, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, make no, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been, had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter, as an apostle to, to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, uh, Cephas, and John, uh, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in, this, in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow, follow Jewish customs? We who, we who were Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen. Let me get a drink of my apple juice. Amen. 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 So, Doug said, verse 16, know that man is not justified by observing the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Put in the comments, uh, which, what verse, what stuck out to you the most about chapter 2 of Galatians, or even what verses you might have questions about. That'd be cool, too. All right. Starting from the very beginning, all right, we are in chapter 2 of the book of Galatians. Chapter 2 of the book of Galatians. And just to give a little bit of a kind of summary context of the book of Galatians, okay? The whole point of the book of Galatians is Paul challenging the church of Galatia to look beyond the letter of the law, meaning to, to, be, to embrace the gospel of truth that we are not justified by the works of the law, but we as believers are justified by faith in Christ and in Christ alone. So, the church of Galatia, the Galatian church, was divided over issues of Torah observance, meaning what rules from the law they should keep and what rules they shouldn't keep, really. And so what they were trying to do was to get the Gentiles to fall in line with Jewish customs, with things like circumcision and observing Jewish laws. And so they were trying to enforce these Gentiles, these Greeks, these people who were not of Jewish culture, who were coming into the faith to begin to assimilate into their old traditional Jewish customs. And so what many leaders were requiring the non-Jewish Christians to live by Jewish laws, missing the entire point of the gospel message, right? Because Jesus fulfilled the law and reconcile those who believe in him. So the, this idea of enforcing Gentiles 
to live according to the law and enforcing the Jewish law on these Gentiles was really the Jewish leaders missing the whole point of the gospel, which was that Jesus fulfilled the law and reconciled those who believe. So when people put their trust in Jesus as the Messiah, his life, his death, and his resurrection become theirs. So when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection becomes ours, right? And we'll talk a little bit about that. And so when, when we put our trust in Jesus, then we become new creations and we're free from the law and the old covenant. So the point is that we are not justified by doing the works of the law, but we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Galatians reminds us as Jesus followers that we are to embrace the gospel message of the crucified Messiah, right? And that Jesus himself, this message justifies all people through faith, right? So in chapter one, Paul introduces this purpose of the letter, you know what I mean? And, and basically let them know there are people who are trying to lead you away by teaching you a gospel that is not the gospel at all, right? If it is not a gospel of grace, if not, if it's not a gospel that we are saved by grace through faith, then it is not a gospel at all. Any gospel that teaches you that you have to do A in order to receive salvation from God, that is not the gospel at all. The gospel of salvation is that Christ alone did everything that we could not do so that we can live a life that we don't deserve to live. Right. And so anybody who tries to teach that that gospel, that false gospel is cursed, is cursed by God and is not blessed by God, is not called by God. And then Paul kind of transitions in chapter one. I'm kind of just giving a real brief like overview synopsis of how he came to be in ministry and how he received this gospel of being justified by faith through Christ. And basically he lets them know, hey, I received this gospel not from man but from God himself, from Jesus himself. And then I spent some time in Arabia, Damascus, went three years in Jerusalem, hung out with Peter for 15 days, and even John was there, and we had a great time. But the message that I received from the gospel was not from men. I got this message from Jesus himself. And I, although I spent time with some of the leaders in the church, Paul said he didn't really, he was not known by the church, except for the fact that all they knew about Paul was that this man who once persecuted them was now preaching the same message as them and that they celebrated with God for, you know, that they were celebrating with God. So that's all of chapter one. In chapter two, now we see Paul kind of introduce a transition of how he dealt with this, with the leader's of the church at the time, the leader, the, the elders or the leaders of the church. So in chapter two of the Galatians, he starts off by saying, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. In chapter one, Paul described that he had a trip three for three years at, in Jerusalem after he met with Jesus. Now, after 14 years, he's going back, right? And here he describes a second trip to Jerusalem after 14 years. And the reason he says he went to Jerusalem, well, first of all, he says when he went to Jerusalem in verse two, he says this time he went with Barnabas and he took along a man named Titus. Now, Barnabas was a well-respected leader among the leadership in Jerusalem. 
right? It was around, but Titus was a Gentile. He was a Gentile cover, a convert who was loved and trusted by Paul. So you have this religious Jewish respected leader, Barnabas, and then you also have Titus. And this basically paints the picture of both Paul's heart and his ministry, that he loved the Jewish people and he loved the Gentiles, although he was called specifically to the Gentiles, right? And so when he brings Titus, he brings Titus on purpose because he says in verse two, I went in response, first and foremost, to a revelation, right? The reason he went to Jerusalem was because God called him to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't a man. He was not inspired by men to go to Jerusalem. He was not inspired by his own flesh to go to Jerusalem. He felt called by God, revealed by God to go and meet with the leadership of Jerusalem. But what's important is how Paul deals with meeting with the leaders of Jerusalem. In verse two, he continues and he said, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. This is huge because Paul, number one, shares the reason for his for his um, visit to Jerusalem. But then he also shares how he handled his visit. He's on a mission and we're going to see this as the as the chapter progresses. If there's a reason, there's a purpose for Paul's visit. But what's really important is how he handles that, right? In verse three, I'm sorry, verse two, he continues, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles because I wanted to be sure I was not running and not and had not been running my race in vain. So what was happening in the church was these false teachers of this false gospel were coming in. And they were trying to enforce the the Gentiles, the Jewish laws on the Gentiles. And Paul said, I have to go talk to the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, to the leadership in Jerusalem to, to basically nip this in the butt. But what's important is that Paul did so privately, right? So there's this disagreement between Paul and the leaders of the church. And that is that, hey, there are people in the church who are trying to teach this false gospel and enforce the law, the Jewish laws, Jewish customs on these new Gentiles that are coming in. And that is not the gospel of Jesus. And so we have to deal with this issue. And that's extremely important to me because I think this is how we handle differences in the church. Okay, this is huge because. There's a gospel, there's this like division in the church that's rising up, right? There's this division with these false teachers who are coming in and preaching this false gospel. Paul then goes privately and meets in private with the leaders of the church because Paul knew that the gospel he had was the right gospel, but he wasn't about to publicly humiliate the leadership, which he clearly states and purposely writes that was esteemed leadership, leadership that was highly regarded. He wasn't about to publicly shame or publicly embarrass or publicly humiliate the leadership of the church. And this is why I'm very, uh, I'm very um, careful with two things in the church. Number one, that we always seek for the unity in the church. That was always Paul's mission in the church was to always, first and foremost, seek unity, right? 
But second, it was always to honor leadership and to handle things biblically, to handle things biblically, right? If you have people in the church who are publicly uh, bad-mouthing the church or bad-mouthing leadership or doing this, that is not the way to handle disagreements in the church, right? That's why Paul said, I presented, I went to them respectfully and privately, meeting with them, with those who were esteemed leaders. And in verse 2, he said, I presented to them the gospel that I had preached, the gospel that he was preaching to the Jews the gen or the, to the Gentiles, which was a gospel of faith, not at works. And I wanted to be sure that I was not running and not uh, and had not been running my race in vain. Right. Paul's entire purpose was to share the message of the gospel that he was preaching amongst the Gentiles. But Paul also wanted to be sure that he was not spending so much time preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, that his work wasn't being undone by the endorsing of people that were going out and introducing another gospel. That was not the right gospel right so now here's when we get into the issue in verse three he says yet not even titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a greek paul's point here is that their leadership in jerusalem accepted titus as a gentile someone who had come outside from the outside of the Jewish customs, he was a Gentile convert, convert, even though he was not circumcised in accordance to the Mosaic law. And what this shows is that the Jerusalem leadership accepted the gospel of grace that Paul understood. So, hey, Titus went with me. He is a Gentile. He is not circumcised. And the church leadership did not try to force that on him. Right. So in verse four. He says, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. It's important to understand that Paul saw people who are preaching an incorrect gospel, who are communicating this false gospel as false believers. False believers. He didn't play with that. He did not play with that. And so that's why we shouldn't play with the wrong gospel being preached, a gospel of works being preached in the church as well, right? He said he didn't just call them false teachers. He called them false believers. And these false believers came in to infiltrate the ranks with the specific mission of spying out the freedom we have in Christ. And he says, and to make us slaves, right? If we are not walking in the freedom and the liberty that Christ has given us, and we take on this mentality that we have to constantly do, that we have to constantly work, that if we do the right things, then maybe God will love us. If we do the right things, maybe God will have mercy on us. If we do the right things, then maybe God will save us. That is a gospel that enslaves us. It makes us slaves. And God wants us to walk in freedom, right? I think I really, if you think about, think about this for a second, if you go back to uh, Genesis, the very beginning in the book of Genesis, when Eve was tempted by the serpent, right? When God presents them with the garden, God really presents them with the freedom that they have in the garden, right? He says, hey, this garden is yours. 
you have all of these trees, all this fruit, all this benefit at your disposal, right? The only thing I want you to do is to not touch that one tree, right? But what the serpent did is he emphasized the one thing they couldn't do rather so that they would not, so that they would get distracted from all of the blessing that God had given them. That's what a gospel of law does, right? It enslaves us to what we cannot do to believe that we cannot be blessed unless we do such and such thing. When the gospel of Jesus, of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and the finished work of Jesus says, we have this freedom now that we can walk in rather than being slaves to the law and slaves to the sin Man, we have this freedom to walk in righteousness. We have this freedom to walk in holiness. And that comes from a finished work, from this life that Jesus uh, gives us, this freedom that Jesus gives us, right? And so he says in verse 4 and 5 that uh, that we get, we have, uh, they try to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. And he says, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. In other words, Paul said, I wasn't compromising the message of the gospel of salvation through faith for anybody so that we could preserve this truth for you. In other words, it didn't matter what anybody had to say. This was the true gospel, and we weren't compromising that at all, right? In verse 6, he says, as for those who were held in high esteem, now he's talking about the leadership again, right? As for those who were held in high esteem, he says, whatever they were makes no difference to me, right? This wasn't a disrespectful mindset. What Paul was trying to say is that, like he continues, and he says, God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Paul understood that there was a sense of, of, of uh, elevation, a sense of kind of celebrity with these church leaders, right? With the leaders of the church. And what Paul was trying to say is, I don't really, their rank didn't influence me, right? Their rank did not influence me. Who they were uh, was of no difference to me. The status that they had was of no difference to me if the gospel of the truth was not being preached, right? So he said, they added nothing to my message. I didn't change anything about my gospel message based on who they were or the position they had or the status they had or the rank that they had. He says, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. They didn't change anything about my message. On the contrary, they understood that God had called me not to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been circum had been to the circumcised. In other words, the grace that God had given us, the call that God has had given us was different, but it was not better than either one. Right. It was different, but it was not better. I was called to the uncircumcised and that was different. But it was not better than Peter being called to the circumcised. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not that the, 
Jews are better than the Gentiles. And it's not that the Gentiles are better than the Jews. It's not that my mission or my calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles is better. It's not that Paul's or Peter's mission or calling to preach to the Jews is better. They're just different. And God has called us on a different mission that ultimately accomplishes his mission, which is to reach those who are far from Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles, right? So they acknowledged that this is the way God had called me, right? Paul was aware that the leaders were well-known and respected. However, it did not influence him to change the gospel based on their status, their rank, or position. On the contrary, they accepted, endorsed, and entrusted that Paul was called to preach the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. That's you and me, right? Verse 8, for God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, right, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Jews. And I just want to say real quickly, right, like I love that Paul acknowledges this, for he says, for God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work and in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. The same God who's reaching two different people groups is the same God functioning in the both of us. That, my friends, is humility, right? I, I, the one thing that I cannot stand in the church is when people fall into this comparison trap, right? And saying, oh, well, this church is reaching a certain kind of people. And, you know, Fusion Church is reaching unchurched people. And this church is reaching this kind of people. And that church is reaching that kind of people. Paul's point is, hey, we are serving the same God. We are on the same team. Peter is reaching the circumcised people, the religious Jewish people who are who need to come out of the Jewish law. He's reaching people that were, are in the in the, the the circle per se. But the same God who's using Peter to reach those people, to reach the people who are Jews, is the same God that is using me, Paul, to reach the Gentiles who are the unchurched people, right? And so let's let's stop pointing fingers. Let, 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 let's stop comparing. Let's stop criticizing. And let's start working together and understanding that we are on the same team, serving the same God, trying to accomplish the same mission of reaching people who are far from Jesus and accomplishing the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples of, in Jesus' name, baptizing people and teach them to walk in the ways of Jesus, right? So... He says, the same God who was at work in Peter is the same God that was at work in me. James, Cephas, and John. Cephas is Peter, so we'll just substat, sub, substitute that name. James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Right hand of fellowship is just basically the stamp of approval. They gave us the stamp of approval when they recognized the grace that had been given to me. Right. They gave them the stamp of approval when they recognized that God had given them this grace to reach people that they weren't reaching. And he says they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they and they to the circumcised. So we had this understanding 
that we're going to reach the Gentiles. They're going to reach the circumcised. We're going to accomplish the mission of God together in separate ways, blah, blah, whatever the case may be. But working the same mission on the same team, serving the same God. And they said all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, which Paul says is the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Right. As long as we are loving God and loving people. That's how basically that's what it's put. It. That's what it's saying. Right. As long as we're loving God, we're preaching the message of the gospel. We're reaching people and we're genuinely loving people. We're providing for those in need. We're meeting the needs of people. Man, that is all we care about. Could you imagine if the capital C church would begin to genuinely, like genuinely function that way to say, hey, man, we're preaching the same gospel or we should be preaching the same gospel to different people. According to the grace that God has given us, we're working for Jesus. We're loving Jesus. We're serving Jesus. We're preaching the message of Jesus. And we're doing so to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And we're serving people. We're meeting the needs of people. That's all we care about. That's basically what they said to Paul, right? But then there's a little bit of a rift. There's this like, there's a switch, right? And Paul, Paul begins to talk about that. And he says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now we're in verse 11. In verse 11, there's like this shift, right? I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So there was a situation where Peter at one time, he ate with the Gentiles, had no problem with it. And then somebody came from James and Peter switched it up a little bit. And he says, I'm no longer going to eat with the Gentiles. And then it says, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So there's a situation where Peter begins to draw himself away from the Gentiles when he's around other Jewish people because he is afraid of what people will think versus being afraid of what God will think, right? We need to be very careful about how we treat people because we are being driven and motivated by the fear of other people, right? He says, basically communicates Peter, because he was afraid of what the Jewish religious people would think, began to draw away from the Gentiles, right? And honestly, we still see this in the church today, right? When people walk into our churches and they don't look like we look, and they don't think like we think, and they don't act like we act, and they don't believe like we believe. And, you know, like Pastor Brendan always says, when people walk in and they're unchurched people, they act a little peopley, right? People will be peopley. And so they start acting a little different. And Peter's response to that out of fear of what the religious people thought he began to withdraw from the Gentiles and to not eat with the Gentiles and began to like kind of fall in line with what the religious leaders who were joining him or accompanying him were thinking. And, and Paul opposed him and he said, wait a minute, bro, this ain't right. That ain't right. Right. And in verse 14, I'm sorry, in verse 13, it even says, uh, the other Jews joined him 
in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So now, because they were being motivated by this fear of the religious people, they're beginning to walk in hypocrisy. And let me tell you something. When you're walking under the influence of fear of what people think and under the influence of a fear of people, you're going to begin to compromise in your beliefs and, and start acting a little bit hypocritical, right? But in verse 14, Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, we need to be people who are concerned, not with the opinions of man, but with the truth of the gospel. It's not what Doug Overby thinks. It's not what Pop thinks. It's not what Joe thinks. It's not what Shockey thinks. What does the word of God say? What is the truth of the gospel? We need to be a people who are not motivated by the opinions of man, but are motivated, led by, inspired by the truth of the gospel. Point blank and simple, right? When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, Paul said, I took it upon myself to say something. And he said, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew yet you live like a Gentile, meaning you are a Jew and you don't really keep all the Jewish laws. There's some compromises, right, in your life. You don't live according to the, all the formal traditions, all the formal religious laws. And so he said to them, you are a Jew, right, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. In other words, you're a Jew. You don't fall in line with every single rule, every single regulation. You don't fall in line with every law that you are trying to enforce on others. And I just want to encourage us all to really examine our hearts, right? To really examine our, our hearts. There, It makes no sense for us to be judgmental and pointing the finger and criticizing other people without first examining ourselves. Hey, if you're going to have that standard of somebody else, you better check yourself to make sure you're meeting that same standard, right? I mean, Jesus himself said it. Like, don't go judging someone else when you haven't dealt with the plank in your own eye, right? And Paul, I love Paul because Paul don't play no games. Paul's like, bro, you ain't even meeting all the standards yourself. You want to sit here and act like you got it all together. You're Jewish. You live like a Gentile, and yet you want to try to enforce the Gentiles to follow the Jewish customs? Nah, man, that ain't happening. That ain't happening. Paul's like, nah, bro, <laughs> not on my watch, right? And so he says in verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Peter, you and the rest of the leaders have it twisted. We are not justified by what we do. We are justified by having faith in what Christ has done. I'll say that again. We are not justified by what we do. We could not do enough. We could not fulfill the law. We could not keep every rule, every regulation. We are going to mess up 
every time. It is impossible. Therefore, because we could not be justified by what we do, the message of the gospel is Jesus had to leave everything in heaven to come and do what we could not do so that we could benefit what, what, from what he could, right? He came and lived and did what we could not do so that we could benefit from the sacrifice, the life that he lived, the way that he fulfilled the law. And so we are not justified by what we do. We are justified by faith in the finished work of what Christ has done. Amen. We're justified by faith in the finished work of what Christ has done. That's why he says to put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I've got news for you. You can follow all the rules in the book. This might be newsflash for some people. You can follow all the rules and the book in the book and still miss out on salvation. You, you realize that. You can follow all the rules in the book and still miss out on salvation because it, salvation, justification, Paul's point is justification does not come from doing the work of the law. Justification comes from putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus. Those of us who are saved are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And to be justified by the law means that you have put faith in your own works. Your own works cannot save you. Your own works cannot save you. Verse 17, Paul then brings this chapter to a close and he says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? So in other words, he's saying, if in seeking to be justified by Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, right? We who are Jews also find ourselves among the sinners who were the Gentiles, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not, he says. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker, meaning that if everything that he has communicated built up to this point, right, uh, if he did that, if he destroyed that, then he would be breaking the law, which his law is preaching the gospel of Jesus by faith through grace, right? He says, for through the law, this is key, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. What does that mean? The law itself killed Paul. It exposed Paul to his sin. It exposed the sin of Paul in Paul's life. And it, the law itself killed Paul. It showed him that he never could live up to the law and fulfill its holy standard. Therefore, it killed him. The law, he says, for the law, through the law, I died. The law killed me because it exposed my sin. Sin brings death. And now the law has killed me. I realize that I cannot save myself, right? It has really crucified me. It's, it's really uh, exposed me. It has left me for dead, he says, right? But, it, but the reality is that Paul came to the point where he really understood the law, understanding it, 
in the way Jesus, Jesus explained it on the Sermon on the Mount. Then Paul realized that the law made him guilty before God, not justified before God. So when he says, for through the law, I died, it's because what the law does is it makes us guilty before God. It exposes our sin. It lets us know where we are wrong, where we're lacking. And what that does is it makes us guilty before God. It does not justify us, right? This sense of guilt before God killed Paul and made him see that keeping the law wasn't the answer, right? So the law exposed me in my sin. It made me guilty before God. Therefore, keeping it is not the answer. What is the answer? Verses 20 to 21. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, right? The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Two things before we go. What is Paul talking about? Number one, the law leaves him guilty, left him for dead, right? And now he is not justified by the law. What justifies him is being crucified with Christ, right? So he's justified by faith in Jesus. But now the other side of that is the life he now lives is out of the finished work of Jesus, empowered by Jesus, right? So he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The law killed me. I'm dead. I'm not justified anything like that, right? But Christ is the one now who lives in me. Now I'm not motivated by keeping the law. I'm motivated by this life of Jesus that is now found on the inside of me. And now I'm walking in this freedom. The moment we start living according to the law, we negate the life of Jesus and we embrace the death of the law. The moment we reject the law and we acknowledge the law for what it is, it leaves us guilty before God. We put our faith in Jesus, and now we receive the empowering of this life that can only be found and provided for in Jesus. And now the life that we live in this body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What he's saying is I, I don't negate the grace of God because if righteousness could be found in doing the law, if righteousness could be found in following the rules, then the entire death of Jesus would be for nothing. The entire sacrifice of Jesus would be for nothing. Friends, Christ did not die for nothing. He died to save us from the sins that we could not save ourselves from. So therefore, if we need to trust him for salvation, we need to trust him for the work that we do in our lives, right? We don't work to receive salvation, but we work from a place of salvation. That is the point that Paul is making to the Galatians. This is not about keeping the rules and regulations. This is about walking in the freedom and life that Christ and Christ alone can provide. Everything changes when we put our faith in Jesus, 
nothing changes when we put our faith in our own works. Everything changes when we put our faith in Jesus. Nothing changes when we put our faith in our own works. Amen. Amen. Whew, that was a lot to unpack. But let's pray. Let me pray for you real quick, and then we're going to go. Father, I just thank you for your work. God, I thank you that you truly finished it on the cross. When you said it is finished, it was done. Our salvation can only be by grace through faith in you. So God, forgive us if we've ever turned away from that. Forgive us if we've ever communicated a gospel that did not come from you. Forgive us if we ever accepted, believed, embraced a gospel that did not come from you. God, we acknowledge that we cannot live by our own works. We cannot be justified by our own works. But God, I just thank you that we are justified by the faith that we have in you and in you alone. God, we pray that you would silence the lies of the enemy that says that we have to do and we have to do and we have to do that we have to meet this expectation and this regulation. No, God, help us to walk in the freedom that you have provided for us to walk with confidence and boldness, knowing that salvation has been provided in you, that we no longer live, but it is now you, Jesus, who lives on the inside of us, who empowers us, to, who motivates us to live the life that you have called us to live. God, we thank you. And we pray that as we continue in our weeks, God, that we would honor you in every single thing that we do. And God, help us to share this message of the gospel of faith in Jesus to those who are around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.